Take your Bible if you have it there and turn to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, great to know that you've already walked through that. We're going to review a little bit this morning. And so, uh, as you know, the Sermon on the Mount was uh, not preached in chapter and verses. And so we're going to kind of pick it up at the end of this message in chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, Jesus draws some um, conclusions to this message. And I want us to look at his words here. I think this passage actually contains the saddest verse um, in the entire Bible. And I want to get there eventually. I'm going to start. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Matthew 7, 13, he says this. Enter in through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. What does that mean? It means it's very easy to get to hell. It's very easy. There's, there's There's a narrow gate, and if you don't walk through that narrow gate, the next verse says, the gate is small. And narrowed these life, and there are few who find it. Only a few people walk through that gate. People say, you're so narrow. To say there's only one way to heaven, I'm as narrow as this book. Jesus didn't say, I am one of the ways, one of the truths, one of the lives. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And behind the narrow gate, there is a narrow way. And then Jesus gives a little bit of a illustration. Let's stand. I know you've been sitting for a few seconds, so stand with me, (laughs) and we're going to look at a few verses here. This is Matthew 7, verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their works. Is that what your Bible says? What does your Bible say? Mine does too. Don't let me do that to you now. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs and thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good works. What is it? Oh, yeah, fruit. But a bad tree bears bad works. Oh, yeah, fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad works. Fruit. Nor can a bad tree produce good works. Oh, yeah, fruit. Every tree that does not bear good works, fruit, is cut down and thrown in the fire. So then you will know them by their works. Oh, by their fruits, yeah. So, so, so what is the difference between a fruit and a work? We're going to talk about that this morning. Before we do, I'm going to let you take a little exercise. I'm going to let you talk to someone. Now, you do it anyway, so we're going to do it on purpose here. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to two people and ask them two questions. Don't do it until I tell you. But here's the first question. In a moment, I want you to turn to someone. I want you to say to them, are you spiritually alive? Now, if, if you're not, you can just say, no, I'm spiritually dead. But, but if you are spiritually alive, if there's another life living inside of you, If they say no, then just say, listen to the message. If they say yes, then here's the second question. How do you know? Tell me three evidences that lets you know you're spiritually alive. Pastor, are you physically alive this morning? Okay, tell me three ways you know you're physically alive. Heartbeat? Bad breath? (laughs) And conscious, okay? It's pretty obvious that Brian's alive, right? He's standing here. If we're spiritually alive, it should be equally as easy of evidence of our spiritual life. So right now, turn to someone right around you, ask them those two questions, then you can sit down.
All right, you can be seated. Now, if you just enjoyed that, that's probably because of spiritual life inside of you. If you just went, I got to talk to somebody about God? If that was really difficult for you, that's problematic. I was in Illinois some time ago. I asked folks to do this. This whole section was senior adults, and they all just sat down and folded their arms just like this. Next day, the pastor said to me, that was kind of tough, Steve, what you did, asking people to do that yesterday. I said, to talk about God in church? Wow. <laughs> what a stretch that is, right? Why is that so difficult? I've asked people that question over the years. You know, how do you know you're a follower of Christ? How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know you're saved? I've got all kinds of responses. This verse talks about the difference between a fruit and a work. What is the difference? I, I, I use the word works, but it, it says fruit. The difference between a fruit and a work is a fruit is something you can't produce. This building is the work of man's hands. Man made this building, but you can't make an orange. And, and a lot of the times, the things that we talk about as the fruit of our life are really things that we're producing. Now, now Christians, followers of Christ, do good works. But doing good works does not mean that you're a follower of Christ. So as you think about the things you listed, were those things that you do or those things that only God can do? I've asked people this question, how do you know you're a follower of Christ? They'll say, well, I know I am saved, I know I'm a Christian, I know I'm a follower of Christ because I believe in Jesus. Now, now listen, followers of Christ believe in Jesus, but just believing in Jesus does not mean you're a follower of Christ. I was in California some years ago, and our kids got an eye issue, we took them to the emergency room and had an x-ray, and while we were waiting for the results, I was talking to the attendant, he was Hindu, and I was asking him about his religion. He believed in Jesus. He even believed that Jesus was God. He also believed Muhammad was God, Buddha was God, Krishna was God. Jesus was a God. So here's a man who believed in Jesus and believed that Jesus was God, but he was not a follower of Christ. So I, I know I'm a follower of Christ because I know what the Bible says about salvation, and that's great. One of the former rulers of, of Russia memorized, he said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said, I wanted to know my enemy. Yeah, he knew what the Bible said about salvation, but just knowing what the Bible says does not mean you're a follower of Christ. He said, I was in a service one time, and they said, if you walk forward, come down, then you can become a follower of Christ. It's fine to walk down aisles, but you can wear the carpet out from the front to the back and still be lost, still not be a follower of Christ. Well, I, I, I was told if I prayed this prayer, read this track, I prayed these words, there's no magical words. Christians pray. That's true. But just praying does not mean you're a follower of Christ. So I, I, not, I invited Christ into my life. But it's actually, we've we made this thing so man-centered. It's really you responding to his invitation. So I, I, I accepted Jesus. I, I added Jesus to my messed up life. I, I tried drugs. I tried sex. I tried religion. I'm going to try Jesus. No, it, it's actually him accepting you. So I know I'm a follower of Christ. I had a great big cry. I was so emotional. And it's, it's great to have an emotional cry. But just having some emotional tantrum doesn't mean you're a follower of Christ. I know I'm a follower of Christ. Just ask my parents. I think we have this view of heaven, like we've watched too many lawyer movies, and we think the bailiff's going to say, all rise, and God's going to come in and take his place on the, on the bench, and, and then we're going to say, okay, now, now call your first witness. And so we're going to say, um, Pastor, come take the stand and tell God what a great church member I was. All the times I came to church, all the money I gave, mischiefs I went, okay, thank you, Pastor. Now, Mom and Dad, you come take this down. Tell God about that time when I was seven years old. And I pray, t Tell God about that. It's not going to be a 
courtroom scene like that. God is the judge, and there's a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And that book will be opened if your name is not in there. It doesn't matter what your pastor thinks or what your mom and dad think or what someone counselor has told you. It, it's, it's only what God knows. He said, well, I know I'm a follower of Christ. I've been baptized. I joined the church. And that's great. It's a great thing to do. Once you become a follower of Christ, it's great to get baptized. A lot of people are doubting their salvation because they, they got baptized as a child and were really converted and followed Christ later. Baptism is supposed to be on the other side of salvation. For some of you, it's just a step of obedience to say, I need to get baptized because since I started following Christ, I've not been baptized. It's an act to say to the world, I love Jesus, I'm following him, but it does not save you. You can go into a baptismal tank, a dry law sinner, and come up a wet law sinner. Standing in a baptismal tank does not make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage that'll make you a car. It's not about your location. And I, I, I'm glad that you've joined. I hope you're a part of a Bible-preaching church like this. But, but I believe a majority of people sitting in churches of America today are lost and headed for hell. Just because you go to church does not mean you're a follower of Christ. I read my Bible. I'm a, I read my Bible. And that's a great thing to do. Christians should read their Bible. But just reading your Bible does not mean you're a follower of Christ. I was in a meeting outside of Tampa some time ago. A 65-year-old lady came to give a testimony. She said, 25 years ago, I was in an evangelistic service with my sister. And we were there, and they preached. And at the invitation, my sister went forward. Well, she was my ride. So I followed her down the front. <laughs> we sat down in the front row, and this, this man took a Bible, and he was talking to my sister. And, and after a while, he said to her, would you like to pray this prayer? And my sister said, sure. And so she prayed this prayer that he told her to. He turned to me and said, would you like to pray this prayer? I said, sure. So I prayed the words he told me to pray. And then he said, now, now you just met Jesus. Get a Bible and read it through every year, and you'll grow in your walk. That's good advice. So she said, I did. For the last 25 years, I've read my Bible through every year for 25 years. But this week, I met Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. She'd read the Bible through 25 times and didn't know the author. It's great to read your Bible, but just reading your Bible does not mean you're a follower of Christ. Well, I go to church. I've been here every night this week. I'll be back tonight at 6.30. I'll be here tomorrow night at 6.30. Every time the doors... And listen, I understand. I went to church nine months before I was born. I, you know, when I was a child, my parents had to drag me to church. I had a drug problem. I, mean, I, I went through all that. And, and, you can go, and it's good to go to church, but just going to church does not mean... I witness. I've been on mission trips. I've gone overseas. I have seen people get saved, which is great. But you can do that without being a follower of Christ. The founder of our ministry, Del Faisenfeld Jr., was the son of an evangelist. And his dad taught him the Bible, taught him how to witness. The year before he got saved as a teenage boy, the year before he met Christ, he led 38 people to the Lord. He knew how to open the Bible, walk them through, and share something with them that wasn't real in his own life. Do you understand the gospel? Let's make sure we're on the same page. Paul said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So let's just make sure that we're all thinking together right on, on the, the basics of the gospel. Here's the basics of the gospel. Number one, I know I am a sinner. I can make no contribution to my salvation. It is not about what you can do. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a chasm between us and God 
that cannot be bridged by anything you can do. How many of you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Ever been to the Grand Canyon? The Grand Canyon is a huge hole in the ground. It's like 11 to 18 miles across. Let's just say I'm going to have a contest to see who can jump the farthest across the Grand Canyon. Okay? That's going to be my contest. So I'm going to be the first contestant. Um, When I was in high school, I did track. Now, I I, I didn't do the crazy walk. I I, I didn't... didn't, Do we know each other to make fun of that? No, we don't. No, okay. All right, never mind then. Okay, I'll, I'll pass on that. I was, going, I was going to, but I won't. Okay, so anyway, um, I, I did the pole vault, and, and it was right next to the running long jump, and so we messed around. So let's just say I, I, I could jump 10 feet. I probably can't. I'm sure I can't. But let's just say I could at some point jump 10 feet. So I take off. I jump 10 feet out across the Grand Canyon. All the spectators are watching. Everyone applauds. I have the new record, 10 feet across. I go a mile down, splat. My next contestant would be Bob Beeman. You know, there are, there are some records in sports that just crush others. Mickey Mantle hitting a 560-foot home run. Tiger Woods winning the U.S. Open by who, who knows how many strokes. Belmont winning the, uh, um, Secretary, uh, winning the Belmont Stakes by 30 links. I'm just sh- shatters records. But one record that smashed probably all of them is, is Bob Beeman. When he went down, the, the world's record in the running, jump, running long jump in 1968 was 27 feet, 4 and 3 fourths inches. And people said, can anyone ever even jump 28 feet? Bob Beeman went down, and he went there to Mexico on his third attempt. He didn't just break the world's record. Didn't just jump 28 feet. He jumped 29 feet, two and a half inches. So he's going to be my, new, my, my second contestant in his prime. So Bob takes off. He goes three times almost as far as I go. A new record. Everyone applauds. Mile down. Splat. That record held until 1991, and that Mike Powell, it's still the current world's record. He broke it by two inches. He's my next contestant. He jumps out, breaks the record. Everyone applauds, mile down, splat. Now, what's the point? It doesn't matter if you can jump 10 feet or 30 feet or 300 feet. It's 11 miles across. No one is ever going to humanly jump across the Grand Canyon. And the chasm between us and God is so wide, it doesn't matter how good you are I don't really understand mother-in-law jokes. My, my mother-in-law, uh, she's passed away now, but she was the dearest, sweetest woman you could ever imagine. And, and my wife was the first one converted, adopted into God's family. They went to a church, didn't preach the gospel. When Debbie was a teenager, started going to this church, she heard the gospel. She responded, then her dad. The last holdout was, was their own mom because, because she was a great person. And, and when the pastor said, you need to be saved, she thought, saved from What? I mean, she didn't drink, she didn't smoke, she didn't gamble, she didn't, she didn't curse, she was moral, she was involved in all kinds of civic activities. I mean, she, she was better than most of the ladies in the church. So when the pastor said, you need to be saved, she thought, I, I'm better than most people. She would have been the Mike Powell of long jumping. She could have jumped the farthest across the, the chasm of, of, uh, between God and man. But, but all the goodness that she had, there came a point in her life where she realized all of her goodness was like filthy rags, and she too humbled herself and saw him a lost, hell-bound sinner in need of a Savior. Secondly, I must receive Christ the Son because he alone is the righteousness that God the Father accepts. If you were here yesterday, we talked about this verse in Titus 3 and verse 5. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. It's not about what you can do. Christ did that. That's the shed blood that he on the cross took your place and shed his blood for us. Here's the third element of the gospel. 
I must be willing to turn from my sin. This is the missing word of, of what is preached as the gospel in our culture today. It's called repentance. Repentance is a change in my mind that results in a change in my direction. It's sort of, I'm heading in one point. The Greek word is metanoia. It's a, it's a military term. It's an about face. I'm heading in one direction. I stop. I do an about face. I turn. I go in a different direction. When did that happen to you? When did you repent of your sin and turn and change directions? And fourthly, it's believing and receiving Jesus Christ the Lord for all that he is. That, that title, Jesus Christ the Lord, is not a meaningless title. Jesus speaks of the fact that he was all man so he could be my substitute. And he was all Christ. He was all God so he could be my Savior. Wait, Steve, how can he be all man and all God at the same time? I don't know. That's what the Bible teaches. And he is Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the supreme authority. And when you receive him, you receive him for all that he is, your substitute, your savior, and the supreme authority of your life. Now, now again, if I could funnel it down as, as, as distinctly as possible, I would say this. Here, here's, what, here's what salvation is. I know Christ died for my sin. I receive his gift of life because he's the only one that can give it. I repent and turn from my sin, and I believe he is my Lord. The devils believe that Jesus is Lord, but they don't acknowledge him as Lord. They know his position, but they don't have a relationship with him. And if you're a follower of Christ, you know Christ died for you. You've received his gift. You've turned from your sin, and you believe he is your Lord. Now, I want to give you a little test. It's the most important test you'll ever take in your entire life. But, but the scripture says this, test yourself and see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself, lest indeed you fail the test. This is the most important test of your life. And the, the question is this, what is the credible evidence of your salvation? What is the fruit? D don't give me all the list of your works. That, that's fine. Christians do good works. But I want to know the credible evidence of your salvation is shown in what God has produced. So here's, here's the test. First of all, it's relationship test. Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? I don't mean you just know about him. I mean, do you have a relationship? I know the President of the United States. I, I, I've never been in the same room he is, but, but I think if President Biden walked in, I could say, that's the President. I've, I've seen his picture enough. I've heard his voice enough. And, and so I know, but I've, I've never been in the same room, shook his hand, talked to him, but, but I know the president. I also know Debbie Canfield, my wife. We, we've known each other for 47 years. I know what she likes, what she dislikes. I know what makes her happy, sad. I, I, we've spent years together. And the way I know Debbie is vastly different than the way I know the president. And some here know God like they know the president. You know his position. You might recognize him. You know things about him. But you never talked to him. You never had a relationship with him. Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? 1 John says this, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. It's not a guessing game. How do you know? Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Do you know the voice of the shepherd? I'm not talking about audible voices. Because you're indwelt by the spirit, do you, are you following the prompting of God? Do you talk to God? Do you have a relationship with God? Did you talk to him this morning? Did you get up and have a conversation with him? I mean, the one who is supposedly the, the savior of your life and your soul, have you ever talked to him? And by the way, in that passage in John 10, Jesus also said, once you become a follower, once you become a part of my family, you're placed in the Father's hand, 
And he says, no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. People say, what that means is once saved, always saved. Well, I'm not sure that's the way I would define that. Because the problem is what we do is we say if you pray this magic prayer when you're a child and go through the motions, then you can live a, a life of sin and, and away from God. But you know, because you prayed those magical words, and everything's okay. I, I think what that says is if you're a part of the family of God, you'll persevere in your faith. You, you can't be living in carnality and be comfortable. There's no such thing as a comfortable, carnal Christian. I'm not saying Christians can't sin and can't live carnally. That's true, but you'll not be comfortable. And if you can live comfortably in your sin, you're not a follower of Christ. My sheep are my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Or you just know, yeah, I I know what he's done. I know he created the world, yada, yada, yada. But but not, not me have a relationship with him. Here's the second question. It's called the love test. Do you love God more than the things of this world? 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What do you love? If you wanted me to evaluate your life, I'm sure you don't, but, but if you wanted me to evaluate your life, I'd ask you to show me two things. You show me your calendar and your checkbook. I can tell you what you love. You can say you love God, you can say you love whatever, but where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money? That's the love of your life. And and Jesus said, if you love me, then it will show in the way you live. What what do you love? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? What do you love? The book of 1 John was written to give people assurance of salvation. Read through that book sometime. Here's the third test. It's the sin test. When you sin, do you sense God's conviction and chastisement that leads you to repentance? This is, this is the way I, I know I'm a follower of Christ. I, I wish this wasn't the, the main way, but, but Hebrews 12, 6. It says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. What that means is God spanks his children. If you were yesterday, we talked about child discipline. God spanks his children. My daughter Anna was just a, a toddler. She's, she's crawling towards an electrical outlet. And so I say, Anna, now listen, in this wall... There's electricity. And, and if you take that fork you're holding and put it in that little hole there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you. So do not play around this electrical outlet. Don't, that's a no-no. Do not do that. Now, how do you explain electricity to a three-year-old? I hardly understand it. So, so she, I, I turn around. She's crawling towards it again. I say, Anna, don't, don't play around that. I, I'm not the, she does it again. So what do I do? I spank her. Why? Because I don't like her. No, I love her the way she was. I don't want to be some crispy critter. I, I liked her like she was, right? And, and God, when he sees us walking off a cliff as a loving father, he says, I, I don't want you to do that. And if you can sin and not know the discipline of God, listen, I don't spank other people's kids. I don't even spank my kids' kids. That's their job. God disciplines his children. And if you can sin and not know the discipline of God in your life, it's because you're not his child. So think about it. Is there a conviction, even in these days, is there a conviction that leads to repentance, that leads to change, not because you feel bad because you got caught. Is there a conviction that leads to repentance, or are you unresponsive to the problem of sin? When sin is exposed, when we walk through those lists, when we talk about sin, does that even have any effect on you? Or are you unresponsive to the areas that you know that are sin? Are you unresponsive to God himself? Not to a belief in God. You wouldn't be here if you didn't believe in God. 
but to the leading of God? Are you unresponsive to the word of God? When, when your pastors open God's word and say, thus saith the Lord, does that have any impact on you? I, I, I've wondered about this. Can a person be spiritually alive and not even be able to carry on a spiritual conversation like I asked you to carry on just a few moments ago? You talk to some people, and they can talk about sports, they can talk about politics, talk about the weather. You start talking about God, and it's like, do they even have a tongue? I mean, there's some of you, you could tell me more of the starting players of Michigan or Michigan State than you could the 12 disciples. You know sports. You know politics. I was in a meeting in northern Indiana, and there was a, a, a deacon in the church, and he was like a Chicago Bears fan. I mean, he ate, drank, slapped Chicago's Bears. He knew everything, past, present, future. Walter Payton's passing efficiency, or Jim McMahon's passing efficiency, and Walter Payton's rushing average. And then he, he knew everything in the future, what they're, who they're going to draft. Just, and all I want to talk about, how about them Bears? How about them Bears? The first Monday night, he didn't come to the meeting because the Bears run uh, you know, TV, and so Monday night football, so he didn't come. On a Sunday, just like this, this deacon met Jesus. That night, I was talking to him. You know what? He, he wasn't talking about the bears. There's nothing wrong with the bears. Well, there's a lot wrong with the bears. But, um, there's nothing wrong with football. I, I like football. But, but all of a sudden, something was more important to him than, than sports. And there's some of you, the only time you open this Bible is when the ushers hand you one or when you open it because the pastor says, turn to such and such a passage. And then it closes the rest of the week. Can you even be a follower of Christ and, and not have a conversation, not even be able to talk about God? Are you unresponsive to holiness? I'm not saying you always are holy, but Scripture says the inner man delights to do the will of the Father. If you have no desire for holiness, you're not a follower of Christ. I'm not saying you're always going to be holy. I'm just saying there'll be a desire for that. But if you're not desirous of holiness, then that's an evidence of where you're at. Are you unresponsive to the reality of hell? Do you realize that hell is a real place, regardless of what Rob Bell says? It's a real place where the fire is not quenched, where the worm dieth not. Do you know there are people sitting on your row that unless God intervenes on their life, they spend, will spend eternity in the devil's hell? Does that even phase you? We're coming up to the, the, the summer, and we're going to have, you know, Fourth of July and, and, and Memorial Day, and all these things coming and down the road. You went through Christmas and Thanksgiving. There are people you meet with Maybe three or four times a year. Family, friends. You see them a few times a year. And not one time have you ever told them about Jesus. Supposedly the most important thing in your life. But yet you'll gather, you'll talk about everything in the world. But you've never sat down with them and just said, let me tell you about the greatest news in the world. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you can't too. If, if you really believe in the reality of hell, you'd want to tell people about the greatest news in the, in the universe. Are you unresponsive to change? Are you changed by the things you profess to believe? Or is it just notes on a page and, and, and more information? Here's the next test. It's the repentance test. Is your life characterized by repentance? Repentance is not a one-time act. I, I was adopted into God's family at the age of nine. I'm sure when I prayed a prayer at nine, I didn't say I repent of my sin. I gave everything I knew about me to everything I knew about God. Here's what repentance says. Repentance says, God, anything in my life that is sin, anything you show me in the future to be sin, I give it all up for you. Repentance is not a stagnant thing that happened in the past. Are you still repenting? Are you still turning? As God shows you issues of your life, are you still turning from those things? 
What have you repented of recently? Repentance is a lifestyle. Is that true of you? Is your life characterized by repentance? A lot of us, I think, have not recognized the, the, the sinfulness of our condition. Any salvation does not alter a lifestyle of sin. Any, any quote-unquote salvation does not transform the heart of the sinner is not the salvation God's Word speaks of. And you're not going to come to God for salvation until you're weary of, of, of the bondage of your sin. You know, here's what I found. You, you can't be saved until you admit that you're lost. There's a prayer that some of you have prayed 50 times. It, it's a worthless prayer, but here's how it goes. Dear God, if I've never been saved, save me now. That, that's, a, that's a worthless prayer. What you're saying is, I'm not going to acknowledge I'm lost. I'm not going to acknowledge I'm proud. I'm not going to acknowledge I've been playing the game, going through the motions. But just in case, I'm feeling a little bit guilty about this one thing now, Lord. So just in case this didn't work the last 50 times I've said it, I believe you died on the cross. Come to my heart, save me uh, one more time. That, that's, that's, you're not acknowledging your loss. You're not, it's your pride. I'm not going to go tell anybody about that. I'm not going to get baptized. I already did that five times. I'm not doing that. I'm just meeting you, God. We're going to try one more time. Praise words again. Magic words. No magic words. And your pride, it's what's keeping you from Christ. Because you're a senior adult. What will people think? I've told people all my life. But but you know as you lay your head on your pillow at night, you, you don't know. If you didn't wake up, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You're not at peace. You never have been. And until you humble yourself and say, the truth is, I am a lost, hell-bound sinner in need of a Savior. My mother-in-law had to acknowledge that all of her good works, as great as she was, could not get her to heaven. And, and as, a, as a great woman, she had to say, I am, I am a lost, hell-bound sinner in need of a Savior. You'll not be saved until you admit that you're lost. Toja said this, you'll not turn, if you'll not turn from your sin, you won't turn to Christ. If you won't turn from your pride and your selfishness and your stubbornness and your, your, your attitude that says my reputation is more important than anything, if you're not going to turn from that, you'll not turn to Christ. Here's the fifth question. It's the lordship test. Have you ever completely surrendered to Jesus Christ as the master and Lord of your life? Romans says it this way, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Acts says the same thing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The, the, the problem is we want Jesus as our Savior. I mean, nobody wants to go to hell. Well, I, I've met one person who wanted to go to hell. I was, we, were in, we were in New Orleans one year and we were down during Mardi Gras passing out tracts. I, I, I handed a tract to a girl. She was all dressed in black. I said, this will tell you how to get to heaven. She said, I want to go to hell. Other than her... I never met somebody who wanted to go to hell. And so when somebody says to you, man, pray this prayer, do this little thing, and, and, and you can get out of hell. Who, a, a child, you tell a child, do you want to go to hell? Of course not. We'll pray these magical words. And, and, and the issue is certainly I am grateful that I'm not going to hell. But salvation is not just a ticket to eternity. It's not just a, a ticket out of hell. Salvation is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ now, we don't make him Lord. He already is Lord. But it's acknowledging his sovereign authority, his rule over our life. And the problem is we don't want to do that. And, and, and he will not become your savior until you receive him for all that he is, Lord of all. Tosha said it this way, the Lord will not save those he cannot command. And what we want is we want God to save us from hell, but we don't want some God running our life, telling us how to live. It doesn't work that way. 
When you receive him, you receive him for all that he is, Savior and Lord. Here's the last question. It's a spirit test, most importantly, really. At this very moment, is the Holy Spirit of God giving you an inward peace and assurance that you know you're a genuine child of God? The Bible says this, we have the Spirit that dwells in us giving us that assurance. Hereby we know that we abide in Him and He in us, First John says, by the Spirit He hath given us. And then Romans says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're a child of God. I believe if you're a follower of Christ, right now the Holy Spirit indwells you and, and is giving you peace and assurance that you know you're His child. But, but there's some of you, that's not the case. And if you think you've embraced the gospel, started being a follower of Christ, and it fit easily into your life without any major adjustments to your lifestyle, your desires, your aspirations, I want to say it's likely you never really followed Jesus. You never really started following him. Now listen, we we understand what the Bible says. We we know that no one ever seeks after God. The Bible's very clear about that, Romans 3, 11. There is none that seeks after God. Salvation is a God-given commitment of your will. He gives you the the faith to believe who he is. He gives you the faith to believe who Jesus is, his son. He gives you faith to believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. The gospel, salvation is a free gift, but it will cost you everything. It is only for those who are willing to put Christ first in their life. A Christian, a follower of Christ, is someone who's shuddered at the awfulness of their sin that they have seen their sin for what it really is, willful rebellion against the rulership of God. They've turned from their sin, and they've embraced God's only means of dealing with sin. That's Jesus Christ. Is that you? Now look back at this passage. We know John 3, 16, that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him, But believing in him is not just acknowledging he's there. The devils believe that. James says it causes them to tremble. It's believing he is who he says he is. What happens if you don't? This is the saddest passage in the Bible, these next verses. Verse 21. This is Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because somebody says they're a Christian, just because they say, say he's my Lord does not mean it's real. Does not mean they've really done that. It's just words. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me, not just a couple, many will say to me in that day. What day is it? There are two judgments in Scripture, the great white throne and the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is is for believers as we'll give account of our life. The great white throne is for the lost of all ages. This is the great white throne judgment. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Preachers, you mean there's going to be preachers in hell? Sure there are. I think there are more preachers staying in the pulpits of America today who will be in hell than will be in heaven, if you include all denominations. I was in a meeting in Mississippi. I shared some of these things. At the close of a service, we dismissed, and a man came down and said, can I say something? I kind of stopped everybody, and he said, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 12 years. I'd resigned my church up north, and I, I was taking a church down here, and we were traveling, and we just wanted to honor God, so this church was near a freeway. We just showed up this morning. He said, I realized why I've been so ineffective the last 12 years. Today, I met Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. He'd been a pastor 12 years. We were on the Atlantic side of, of Florida, and between two churches, five staff members or their wives got saved. 
Just because you're a deacon, just because you're an elder, just because you're a Sunday school teacher, small group leader, life action team member, because you have a position does not mean that you're necessarily a part of God's family. Many will say to me that day, have we not prophesied your name? In your name cast out devils, exorcists, people who seem to have the apparent power of God in their life to exorcise a demon. He said, man, I'm glad I'm not a preacher, glad I'm not an exorcist. Look at the last phrase. And in your name perform many miraculous works. Oh, there's that word. You know what's sad? I, I, I can almost understand someone like Adolf Hitler or Saddam Hussein or, or, or someone, some, some mass murderer. I can almost understand someone like that spending eternity in hell, almost. But you know the tragedy is I look Sunday after Sunday in the faces of people, they're not mass murderers. They're not bad from the world standard. But they're going to be in, some, some of you, unless something happens in your life, are going to be in the same group And here, the saddest verse in the Bible, verse 23. Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I pray that today that changes in your heart. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't know anybody's story of salvation or where they're at except for me. I can't see in your heart. But I, but I believe that it's probable there are some of you this morning right now who maybe for the first time are going to be honest. For the first time are going to say, you know, the reality is, as I walk through those questions, as, as I think that through, do I have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Not really. I don't talk to him. Do, do I love God more than things in this world? Well, most of the time, No. When I sin, is there a conviction and chastisement? Well, I feel guilty if I get caught, but, but just to have God discipline me for sin that no one else knows about? No, it's not really happening. Is my life characterized by repentance? Have I said, God, anything in my life that's sin, and whatever you show me in the future to sin, God, I, I give it all up? Am I living in repentance? Not really. Have you completely surrendered to Jesus Christ as the master of your life or just you want to feel good about not going to hell and so you prayed some magic words and right now is the Holy Spirit of God giving you a peace and assurance that you know that you know that you know or is he pulling the mask away and maybe for the first time in your life you won't be worried about what your husband thinks or your wife thinks or your parents or your grandkids, for the first time in your life, feel this be you and God. And you'll have to say, I, I am not a follower of Christ, but I want to be. If that's where you're at this morning, I'd like to pray for you. Three times the New Testament talks about the gift of repentance. I, 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 can, I can't pray, I can't get saved for you, I don't have to, but I can pray that God gives you repentance. I can pray that God gives you understanding and clarity. And I'd like to do that this morning. I just wonder how many of you, would, for the first time, would just say, I'm going to be honest. I've, I've prayed a lot of prayers. I've, I've said things. I've done things. Maybe some of you came in here. You're some of that 10% you knew when you walked in here. You're not a follower of Christ. Maybe you're some of that group that would have said you were a nominal Christian. You call yourself a Christian, but you know in your heart you don't have a relationship. You've just gone through the motions. You tell people that, but the reality is it's not there. 
but that can change today. And, and I'd like to pray for you if you let me. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just say, Steve, would you, would you pray for me this morning that, that God would give me repentance, give me understanding? I, I, the fact is, I am a lost, hell-bound sinner in need of a Savior. And I want that to change today. But I, I just need some clarity. I, I, I want that. Would you please pray for me? I will if you let me. Just slip your hand way up in the air so I can see it. Thank you. I see it. Thanks. I see them all over. Thank you. Put them down. Thank you, sir. Just slip it up way up in the air. Pray for me. Anybody else? Clue me in that prayer. I need Jesus today. I'm a lost, hell-bound sinner. Pray for me. Just slip away up. Join these others. Thank you, sir. I see it. You put it down. Thanks. I see it on the side. Pray for me. Anyone else? Just getting your hand in the air is a starting point. The pride just sits there and says, now, what will everybody think? What, but what does God think? Thanks. I see it there on the side. Put it down. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Way in the back. I see it. Pray for me. I'm a lost, hell-bound sinner. Thank you. I see it on the side. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. There in the middle. I see it. Pray for me. I need Jesus today. I've gone through the motions, told people maybe, but the reality is I need Christ today. Anyone else? Only about 30 seconds. I'm going to pray for these. Just slip away up in the air. Thank you, ma'am. I see it. Pray for me. I need Christ today. I'll acknowledge that. I'm a lost, hell-bound sinner. I, I, I want that to change. I want repentance. Thanks, sir. I see it. Pray for me. Anyone else? Clue me in that prayer. Thank you, ma'am. I see it. Don't want to leave you out. Slip away up in the air. Pray for me. Anyone else? One last time. I'm going to pray. Thank you, sir. Glad I waited for you. Don't want to leave you out. Anyone else? Just include me. Thank you, sir. I see it. Thank you, ma'am. I see it. Anyone else? Don't. Pray for me. Just, just get your hand in the air. It's a huge step. Thank you, ma'am. I see it. Thank you, sir. Don't want to leave you out. Pray for me. Anyone else? God, all over this room, I've seen men, women, young and old. I don't know any of their hearts, but they've asked me to pray, and so, God, I just... give them repentance I pray to give them understanding I, I pray they wouldn't care about anybody else in this room because it's not about anybody else it's about them and you God give them the understanding and even the courage to step out and talk to someone God I'm, I'm reminded you've said that if, if we'll confess you before men you'll confess us before your father which is in heaven I remember Lord Jesus you crawled 650 yards with a cross on your back to die on a cross. I, I pray that folks would be willing to maybe crawl over a few people to get to an aisle and just let someone sit down and talk with them. Give them, God, what they need, what only you can give. Thank you for their humility even to get their hand in the air. I, I pray they wouldn't worry about who they came with and what other people think because one day it'll just be you and them. 
So give them understanding. Give them faith. Give them repentance, I pray. Now, if you just raise your hand, no one else, but if you just raise your hand, would you look at me for just a minute? Just those of you who raised your hand. There's nothing magical about walking down an aisle. But at the back and over toward the teen room, some of our team and, and the church staff is going gonna, is gonna to head over there in just a minute. And, and we just want to take a moment to pray with you. And, and if you say, well, and we're not going to stand. We're not going to sing just as I am 20 times. You say, well, that'd it, make it easier, Steve. I know it would. But I've found this, that if people are serious about this, you'd crawl over a broken glass to get to Jesus. And so if you're really serious about this and you want to follow Christ, then, then I want to ask you right now to, to join Matt, some of our team, and your staff is right at the back door. And I'm going to ask the staff guys and ladies to stand, stand back there. And, and if you just raise your hand, would you slip back there right now and just have a word of prayer with one of the team and just let them walk through these moments right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You just lifted your hand just right now. Get out of your seat, head back over there at the door, and they'll usher you across. Just don't worry about anybody else. Just stand right now. People will let you out. And just head back to that door. Maybe you couldn't even get your hand in the air, but you say, I, I need Jesus today. You go right now. Just slip out those back doors. Get with one of our team, one of the staff. Let them just have a word of prayer with you and walk through these next moments together. I'll wait for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, not trying to embarrass anybody. But it's the most important issue of your life. Go right now. There's plenty of time. I'll wait for you. Anybody else? You can just slip out. You start moving, I'll wait. Anyone else? Pastor, you need some more help, counselors? A few more? Plenty of time for you. stand together. Stand with me. I want to say two things. One, if you're confused, that's not God. God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of conviction. And, and so if you're just confused, that's, 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 not, that's not God. Uh, you just need to go and, and, and talk to them about it. I want to challenge you to do something. If, if you just say, I'm, I'm just still not sure, Steve, I think I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm just, you know, I'm a little bit shaky, go on this afternoon and read the book of 1 John. There's five chapters. It's toward the end of the New Testament, not the book of John, but 1 John. It was written to give people assurance of salvation. And so read the book of 1 John and, and go say, God, before I lose myself in TV or whatever, read those five chapters and just say, if I'm your child, would you show me through your word if I'm your child? And if I'm not, would you show me through the, these verses that I'm not your child? I was in Colorado, and I had shared that. And that evening, one of the pastor's wives came to me, and she said, this afternoon I went home, and I, 
I grew up in a home of a pastor. I'm a pastor's wife right now. And I, but I said, God, I'm just not sure. I read through those five chapters, and I said, you know what? That's not me. This afternoon, I met Christ. I called my dad, and I said, well, how'd your dad respond? He said he was thrilled because he was a Baptist deacon when he got saved. So don't let a title stand in your way. And then, and then when, you, when you sit down to your meal this afternoon, with whoever you're with, just have them go around and share their testimony. It may just be the two of you. Maybe, maybe you have some guests or your family. We need to be having the conversations like we had at the beginning here. That needs to be natural and normal. Just sharing the, the fruit of your life and sharing the, the, the journey of your life. Let that be your normal conversation. Father, thank you for these folks right now. They're dealing with the most important issue of eternity. And for others here this morning, they're, they're, they're confused or convicted. God, would, would you not let them lose? Would you, as the hound of heaven, pursue them and God, I believe more will happen outside of the service and inside the service when you get a hold of hearts and lives. And so continue to speak to us, bring us back tonight, and we'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. See you tonight, 630.